This week, we look at one of the real disasters of spaceflight. That's right. We're going to look at a 1974 TV movie called Houston, We've Got a Problem. You'll either love it or hate it, but you'll probably hate it. <laughs> we are pretty active on social media, so please do come and join us. In case you didn't know already, we're Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. But for now, here's another episode of the Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Space and Things Podcast. Now, for various reasons, the show that we had planned to record today has ended up not happening. But fortunately, Emily and I recorded a piece way back around episode 7 to cover this inevitable scenario. Uh, First up, I'm going to do a little catch up on what news has been over the last couple of weeks. But before I get started on that, I do want to thank all those who took the time to send us a message about last week's panel with Mike Mullane and Christina Corp. There was some really inspiring correspondence that we received and hearing some of your stories really justified to me why it was important that we looked at that topic. I'm sure it will be a theme which will come up again and I'm also currently busy planning some other panels on other subjects. I think a panel every three or four months will be a good addition to our schedule. But anyway, enough of this. Let's get on with the news and sport. And uh, Houston, what's the story on Engine 5? Jim, uh, Houston, we don't have a story on why the inboard out was uh, early, but the uh, other engines are go and you're go. Roger. So obviously we didn't do the news last week, so we've got a little bit to catch up on. Uh, There's been four launches. On February 24th, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation launched a Long March 4C rocket, putting three different reconnaissance satellites into orbit. A few days later, on the 28th of Feb, the Indian Space Research Organization had their first launch of the year launching their polar satellite launch vehicle, uh, placing eight satellites into orbit for a variety of different customers. Uh, On the same day, in Russia, Roscosmos put a weather satellite into orbit using their Soyuz 2.1B rocket. And on the 4th of March, SpaceX launched another 60 Starlink satellites into orbit. Uh, So four launches from four different countries, which uh, is pretty cool. Um, As always, I will be putting videos of these launches on our website and the links of those will also be in the show notes on your favourite podcast platform uh, as well as links to articles with more details of those payloads. Talking of SpaceX, I'm almost certain that you would have seen a video of the SN10 Starship prototype test launch, which took place on the 3rd of March. Uh, It reached 10 kilometres high before coming back, well, literally free falling back down uh, and then doing a landing burn Uh, and this time it didn't blow up when it attempted that burn Uh, although it wasn't the most graceful of touchdowns they did make it stick for the first time but then it blew up eight minutes later quite spectacularly Uh, I'm assuming everyone has heard and seen about this so I won't go on too much about it and we've covered the starship in previous episodes Uh, but I will again put the videos and link in the descriptions uh, in case you want to know more but as you i'm sure anyone who has seen it will will agree it was pretty spectacular and some of those shots are amazing so do check it out if you haven't done uh, but while we're talking about starship this other piece of news is pretty interesting and crazy uh so 
The starship is going to be used by a Japanese billionaire called Yusuku Maezawa. He has announced that he is looking for eight crew members to join him on a week-long lunar trip on board a Starship rocket for his Dear Moon project. This was originally announced back in 2018, with the flight scheduled to take place in 2023. But it looks like they're moving things along quite swiftly now, with the final interviews and medical screenings for this crew to take place by the end of May this year. So you can pre-register your interest in going along uh, on, before March 14th on the website. I will put a link in the description. Although no specific requirements have yet been announced, everyone who has registered will receive an email after that date letting them know of the next part of the selection process. Uh, They say they're looking for a diverse group of people from around the globe. So I have, of course, signed up. I remember when this was first announced and they said they were specifically looking for artists, um, but they seem to have dialed back on that rhetoric a little bit. Uh, But it's still pretty cool. Um, And who knows, right? I think think there's hundreds of thousands of people who have signed up, but I am one of them because why not? And the crew on the ISS, the International Space Station, have completed two more spacewalks. On the 28th of February, NASA astronaut Kate Rubins and Victor Glover put on their spacesuits and headed outside uh, to install some modification kits uh, for the new solar arrays, a job which was then finished on March the 5th by Kate Rubins and Japanese astronaut Soichi Noguchi. Um, So they have essentially installed some struts which will hold uh, these new solar panels which are being manufactured by Boeing. The plan is that these will boost the current power levels at the station by 20 to 30%. Um, So pretty important. And I believe that the current panels were there, have been there since 2007. So uh, they have degraded naturally over time. So an upgrade is certainly due. And finally, I'm going to very briefly summarise a few stories. Uh, We've had some more delays in NASA's Space Launch System rocket. We've also had delays in Boeing's Starliner capsule and in Blue Origin's new Glenn rocket. We've also seen an announcement from Rocket Labs uh, announcing they're, they're developing a new rocket called the Neutron, which is their first heavy lift vehicle. Uh, which is exciting. And there's another company called Relativity Space who are going to launch a 3D printed rocket later this year called the Terran One. Um, so as always, I've mentioned this a few times, I will post links in the show notes. Uh, there's been a lot I've been trying to round up very quickly here. Uh, so this time I'm leaving some of the work for you to go and check out uh, if you are interested, of course. Um, but I think it's time to get back to what I recorded with Emily way back last year. So you may remember in episode 5, I talked to Tom Chambers about the Apollo 13 online play. Um, At at the moment we're recording this, neither of us have watched that. So what we're about to talk about is in no way inspired uh, by that play being good or bad. Um, But the fact that that play existed did get Emily and I talking about other uh, dramatised versions of Apollo 13. Okay, now most people are obviously aware of the fantastic 1995 Hollywood movie, which was directed by Ron Howard, and it stars Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise, uh, Ed Harris, uh, Bill Paxton, and Kevin Bacon, to name just a few stars. Uh, But less of you know, (laughs) uh, thankfully, (laughs) about a TV movie which came out in 
um, on March 2nd, 1974. <laughs> yep, it was uh, originally on on the ABC network. Uh, Houston, we've got a problem. Um, they didn't even get the, the quote. I mean, oh. anyway, uh, it, it's di- directed by Lawrence Donaghy and starred Ed Nelson in the in the role of Gene Krantz. Uh, also starring Robert uh, Culp, Clue Gallagher. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Gary Collins and Sandra D. And amazingly, it was filmed on location at Johnson Space Center, which is really quite something. I don't think that's happened before or since and maybe this movie is a reason why uh but but yeah emily sent me the sent me the this was quite wonderful she sent me the uh the youtube link uh which i will obviously post and then i saw you post in in space hip saying pray for me i've just <laughs> i've yeah. just sent my co-host the link to to houston we've got a problem he may hate me after this yeah it is truly um an experience. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to spoil too much of it because we're going to get to some of it in this episode. Uh, but it, it is uh, truly an interesting uh, document of its time. We'll just. <laughs> so, so the premise is that they're focusing on they use real mission audio. So there's nothing in the spaceship and you don't see any of the astronauts in space. But the premise is it focuses on mission control, in particular, four mission controllers who are all make believe characters. Uh, and and what's going on in their lives around their hard work within Mission Control. That's the premise. Here's the thing. It, right at the start, a thing comes up saying this is inspired by real events. And inspired. We, we may have taken some liberties with the drama, like this is, this is real, but it's nothing like what really happened. No, um, it's to me, it's like performance art that's based kind of around Apollo 13. That's what that movie yeah. is like. Just so you know, if you go, if you type in Apollo 13 on YouTube and you find this movie, it has it has nothing to do with Apollo 13, really. It's just, it's just nuts. So, 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 so one one of the the, the retro officers got heart problems. Yes, uh, Steve Bell, played by Robert Culp. And then there's a guy next to him who. Was he Fido? Maybe he's Fido. And he's got marital problems and his wife doesn't understand. And she, she even tries to commit suicide yeah. in the middle and miraculously is fine within two hours. I believe uh, I believe that's Sandra D. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for those uh, who don't know, some of you, this may be before your time, but uh, Sandra D. used to be like a teenage celebrity like back in the 50s, 60s. And she was Gidget, like, you know, like this little beach chick who surfed who wore a bikini and stuff this movie is kind of an indicator of how far her star had fallen by 1974 (laughs) it's really sad so she's playing the chick who's like overdosing and you know screaming at her husband like how dare apollo 13 explode you you know what the heck you know it's like you don't love me anymore you don't love me anymore like oh my god like She's doing the best she can in this movie, given the script, but it's it, it's really just an indicator of how her career was going at that period. Uh, so so another, another of the, the flight controllers is a single father who's having a custody battle <laughs> and the court cases that week happens to be brought forward to that day and there's no way they can delay. Uh, and and that, there's all the drama with that and his son. Uh, and the, the final guy is, is a, a Jewish guy who's, who's dad, um, whose dad dies and 
uh, he, he can't possibly ask Gene Krantz to have some time <laughs> off for the funeral. And his elder, his younger brother, who's a rabbi, has him and his brother have a massive fight in the reception of Mission Control. Uh, or his brother has a massive go at him, and then he's a passionate plea, which is the worst acted passionate plea I've ever seen ever, <laughs> saying. Don't you understand? These three guys are going to die if it's not for me. And then his brother says, okay, I get it. And they have a hug and everything it's seems so fine. It's so awful. And it's, it's just crazy. It's just, and there's, some, there's a great scene where Gene Krantz, they're, they're out of the, of the, of the MOCA, uh, the, the, the main mission control room. They're in one of the back offices. And he says, guys, we are going to, the white team, we are going to be uh, in charge of re-entry. And they all go, Oh, like a really fake groan. And then he says, but, uh, and I know you're like this, because we've got such a special job, we're going to be known as the Tiger Team. And they will go, yeah. And it's just like, what? Is the- <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. What is going on? Um, I'd just like to point out that the plot line with the, the Jewish gentleman and his rabbi brother and their father dying, um, that's kind of a ripoff from another film or an, not another movie, but like a storyline. Like, um, I, I, I'm like, they, so they ripped off the jazz singer for a friggin, oh. they ripped off the jazz singer for this Apollo 13 kind of story. Like sort of, it, it sort of has the same elements. Like they just don't understand my job, my, you know, yeah. and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't know. It's so terrible. It's like they're plagiarizing other movies because like, or they're plagiarizing other storylines because they just don't have anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's just yeah. nothing there. Uh, <laughs> but I don't understand. With a, with a story which is as good as Apollo 13, why do you need to add, even if you were going to add one of them, fine, okay. If you want to thicken up the plot of Apollo 13 and the drama as it is, Adding one of them, but all four of these stories going on was just—it was too much for me. Yeah. It was too much. <laughs> it's too much. It's overwhelming. Uh, I, I when I first saw the movie, uh, when I first watched it a few years ago, uh, I, I think I had to like stop and like pause through it a few times, not because it was good, but because it was just like there's a lot going on here. This is dense, man. Like Sandra D's about to overdose, man. Like we got. Steve Bell having a heart attack in a speedo, you know, like by a swimming pool and in slow motion. I mean, it's just a lot happening. I'm serious. Like we're not making this up. Like this isn't like a fever dream we had. This is like a real, just go, I apologize, but just see it. Yeah. Go and follow the link and go and see it. Now I try not to criticize anything which is artistic, which also is about space flight because ultimately that could be the thing that inspires someone to get into spaceflight. I agree. But this has nothing to do with spaceflight. No, it doesn't. It, it, it's absolutely nothing to do with it. And, and what I don't understand is how they managed to convince NASA to let them use mission control and how they managed to convince Tom Stafford to have a cameo uh, in, the, in the simulator uh, and also, they they had the the real Apollo announcer, whose voice you always hear in all the famous Apollo audio of the time, saying, "Oh, here's in Mission Control now. They are doing." They had that guy actually yeah, there King. doing it, and the real voice. And it's it was like this feels like it has NASA's seal of approval. Well, um, there's actually a paper trail that I've recently uncovered about this film. If you would like me to talk about it. That, oh, please go that on. That discusses this matter. Um, 
So as as you've said, um, much of this film was uh, filmed at um, Johnson Space Center at the uh, uh, Moker, which is the missions operator uh, missions. I'm sorry, missions operations control room. So before the movie uh, actually came out, the script passed by uh, none other than Jim Lovell, who's the actual commander of Apollo 13. And uh, he had some things to say about the script. And I'm going to read a letter he actually wrote to the then NASA administrator, uh, who was James Fletcher at that time. So uh, this is from Jim Lovell. Uh, Lovell, I'm sorry. I've just read the script. <laughs> I'm going to try not to laugh through this. I've just read the script and I am greatly disappointed. The setting of the story is indeed based on the Apollo 13 flight. Actual voice tapes, real names, insignia, and facilities are used. However, the plot is fictitious and in poor taste. The story of the flight controller's efforts to bring Apollo 13 home include the old soap opera cliches of marital difficulty, drug overdose, a child... <laughs> I'm so sorry. A child custody fight, death in the family, and a heart attack. If one is to believe this story, it was obviously more traumatic to be in mission control than to be on board the crippled spacecraft. I resent the mixing of facts, uh, fact and fiction. fiction. <laughs> the Apollo 13 story in itself is an exciting adventure tale without the embellishments found in an afternoon serial program. If NASA wanted exposure of this nature, the story should have been based on a fictitious space flight. I cannot feel that NASA did a disservice to the flight crew and ground personnel connected with Apollo 13 by fully cooperating with this film. Go on, Jim. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, he had every right to be pissed off yeah um, good for him so it, it appears from a levels letter um i that's just an excerpt of the letter that uh he assumed that the pro the movie would be based on a book by uh, henry sf cooper jr a space flight writer and the book is called 13 the flight that failed um ironically i hate bringing this up ironically years later cooper would go on to write one of the worst skylab books ever Called a oh, no. called the house in space, which uh, goes all <laughs> in on the mutiny trope. But that's another episode into itself. But um, unto itself. <laughs> so um, on February fifteenth of uh, I believe nineteen seventy four, this letter from Level was written on February eleventh. Um, February fifteenth, um, George Lowe received a, a memo from NASA Public Affairs, uh, John P. Donnelly. Donnelly felt that you know maybe somebody should make a phone call to you know talk to Lovell and uh, Lowe wrote at the bottom of the memo the thing that's great about George Lowe's memos is he kind of writes notes on them so you could see kind of his brain working which is a lot of fun Emily who who was George Lowe within NASA at that oh, point that's a good I should have said that earlier um he was the deputy administrator at the time I I right, want to okay. say between um I could be getting this wrong I want to say between Payne and Fletcher he was the acting administrator so he was right, pretty okay. high up at he was pretty high up at NASA, um, and this is kind of a, an aside, but uh, there's a wonderful book about him called uh, The Ultimate Engineer, which was written by Richard Jurek and Jurek and uh, Alan Andres. I think I got his name right. I love you, Alan. Uh, they passed these uh, memos on to me. So um, Right. Amazing. Yes. So these are treasures, but um, uh, this is from Donnelly to Lowe. Um, and Donnelly was basically like, who should make the phone call? And uh, Lowe responded back on the bottom of the memo, John, I would be happy to call him, but I need to be much uh, better prepared than now. Uh, what is our side? 
So Donnelly sent back six days later, um, and it's funny because at the top of this memo on February 21st, uh, Lowe wrote, why did it take six days to get to me? But um, <laughs> I thought that was funny. But um, Donnelly tries to kind of discuss a damage control strategy, and he claimed he claimed that uh, Universal and ABC uh, wanted to make a, an Apollo 13 documentary, but this is what he says, and I have a hard time believing this. Um, whatever money the studio had offered the three crewmen, uh, Lovell, Hayes, and Swigert, it wasn't enough. Um, he also then uh, doubled down and asserted that because the studio couldn't do a documentary, it would go forward with a human interest version with fictionalized elements. Uh, those are his words. Um, I think this is now, this is what I think. I think they went ahead with this version for a few, maybe for one of several reasons. One is that human spaceflight was starting to wind down. Uh, February 1974, Skylab 4 crew comes back. Mm -hmm. There weren't going to be any more flights until July 1975. So it was kind of a, I wouldn't say a dead period, but not much was going on in spaceflight. So I think they kind of wanted to jazz it up a bit. Another thing is... Um, a lot of the Apollo 13 tapes, like if you listen to the audio from it, it's kind of boring. Um, really boring. Yeah, and they're very calm. Like there's no yeah. dramatic. There's no drama. Yeah, it's yeah. they're very calm. I mean, nobody is freaking out. It's very businesslike. So I think that's another reason uh, why they, you know, added all this stuff to the movie. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe they were... Somebody at Universal ABC was having a Coke bender. I don't know what was going on. I'm just I'm just speculating, but this is what I think. I think they just wanted to jazz it up because otherwise it would have been kind of boring. Now, Donnelly gave the reason for NASA's involvement in the movie. Um, it was on a non-interference basis. Um, basically, it extended to only filming at Johnson Space Center and utilizing the actual Moker uh, personnel as extras. Donnelly kind of shrugged it off as, you know, we didn't have any input in the film, but we allowed it to be filmed here. So um, we will have a link in the show notes, but my article and the full memo that Donnelly wrote um, back to George Lowe. But um, basically, I thought this was really funny. George Lowe decided to let Donnelly just call Lovell himself and explain it, <laughs> which I thought was kind of like, OK, I'll just pass the buck to you. You can do this because yeah. I don't want to get, you know. So there's an article from, uh, I went in deep on this, which is pretty funny. I'm like, why am I going in so deep on this horrible film? Um, <laughs> there is a February 28th, 1974 AP article, uh, which was titled Apollo 13 Movie Irks Level, which uh, discussed the paper trail uh, generated at NASA by the film. And also as a quote from the movie's executive producer, Herman Saunders, who... Um, I think further kind of muddies like why the film was highly fictionalized. And this is his words. We could have never gotten a straight documentary on the network. So what we did was take the basic facts and add fictional drama on top. How would you keep people in suspense? Otherwise, when they all know the outcome of the story already. So basically the, the executive producer was like, well, it was going to be boring. So we just added a bunch of fake crap on it. <laughs> so I think that's probably the most truthful answer. Um, no disrespect. I don't know if John Donnelly, I don't know if he's still alive, but I'm finding his assertion kind of hard to believe personally. 
do I think they would want to profit from making a movie? Maybe. That's understandable. You know, if they're going to lend their likeness, likenesses yeah. and their, you know, kind of their face to it. Yeah, I can get that. But um, I'm having a hard time believing that, you know, the reason why this movie was so god awful was because the crew wouldn't cooperate. I'm, yeah. That, also, I'm I'm just trying to trying to think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but but Fredo was still at NASA at that point, wasn't he? You're correct. Swagger so, was. I, so, Swagger was too. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think there were. I thought there were rules about NASA employees and what money they were offered and things like that, and and so they probably weren't even allowed to have accepted money for a, a movie based on Apollo 13 at that point. Maybe I've got that wrong. But, no, that's a good but, point. But I know um, there was complicated things around around what they were allowed to accept as gifts and, and things to do with NASA. That's a good point that you brought up because I'm thinking maybe the same thing. I'm sure maybe I think it's possible Lovell was not at NASA anymore. But if the other two, um, if Hayes and Swigert were and they were at NASA at the time, I'm not sure if they could have accepted any money. So yeah, so um, so it seems odd that Donnelly's even putting that in in a, in a memo at, at that point. Yeah, I, I I'm not believing his story, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm glad that George Loeb made him do the phone call. <laughs> like it's yeah. on you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and and that, and that's, that may as well be reading just reading between the lines. George Lowe going, well, this doesn't make any sense. If you want to make sure you deal with Lovell, but if you want to tell him he hasn't, he's turned it down because he didn't want enough money. You can say that to him. I'm not saying that to him. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think George Lowe was stupid. I think he knew what was yeah, exactly, up. <laughs> exactly. But it's uh, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think you should. I think people should watch it just because it's hilarious. Yeah, I think I think people should. Uh, it's awful, and it's uh, it, it's um, it kind of it's less about Apollo thirteen to me than the state of American television at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, we've come a long way yeah. <laughs> with television and drama and soaps and that kind of thing. We've come a long yeah. way. It's weird because I remember when I was at the um, the Mocha for my tour and they even said that the only film that had ever happened in there was that movie. Yeah. And I hadn't seen it at the time and I had no no interest. And they said, yeah, it was very good. Someone just said, oh, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, but that, that pretty much sums um, it up. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I'm that's an, That's also an interesting question. I'm wondering why... Nobody ever filmed in there again. Maybe it was because of that. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. I know Ron Howard said that they built Mission Control in, in Hollywood for Apollo 13, the movie. Um, yeah. Because he wanted to have a crane shot which sweeped through Mission Control, which they couldn't do in, in the actual one. But I'm not sure if it's, they were ever given permission to do it. Do you know what we should do, though? We should, we should do other episodes covering the other movies, especially the ones that aren't received very well like there's that apollo 18 horror movie uh which is just awful and um gravity doesn't ever seem to get the recognition i think it deserves i really like that film and there was that there was that one that came out last year with brad pitt which or a couple of years ago with brad pitt at astra yes that one uh but we should cover some of these things because i think it's i think it's interesting to look at the how these films came about um but the ones that are normally about actual missions yeah are normally pretty good, but this one is awful. This is not it. Yeah, if you, yeah, yeah. this is not it. Like the um, 1995 Apollo 13 movie does have a few fix, like dramatic. It does use dramatic license, of course, but generally it sticks to the story and it doesn't have any extraneous drama in it, unless you count Jack Swigert's hoochie mama showing up at the launch site. I mean, yeah. that's kind of I don't know. <laughs> 
you know, whatever his hoochie mama was that week. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go and check out this TV movie. Please do. Yeah, go see it. <laughs> go see it. Get some. Hey, Emily, I, I think this would be the perfect time to ask a question from one of our astronaut-tiered Patreons. Uh, Amar, uh, lovely guy, he would like to know, and I quote, Have we ever tried experiencing zero-G like on those planes? If yes, what was it like? If no, would you like to try it? Wow. Um, personally, I have never done that before. Uh, I know there's a company that does flights. Um, out there, but I've never uh, tried it. But I, I, it's on my bucket list. Definitely, I would love to do it. Me, de- definitely, me too. Uh, did you ever see the music video that OK Go did? Yes. within one of the planes. Yeah, so that good. is so. I will post killer. a link. It was so killer. It's so so good, and it's all done as if it's one take, which it clearly wasn't. But it's so well choreographed. Paint everywhere. It must have been a must have been a mess. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of companies now that that do this. I'm sure there are ones in the states. I saw one last year in Europe. There's there's definitely one. They took Charlie yep. Duke up again, and there's a great video of Charlie up in his 80s on on the on the the old Vomcom, but like obviously looking a lot smarter than they used to in the old in the old NASA footage. But uh, I would love to do it. I would absolutely love to do it. Yeah, I, I it's definitely on my list of things to do someday. I, w- I would love to do it. Maybe one day someone will, will sponsor us to do that. Yes. Emily, so we can do it for the pod. That, that would, would be, be amazing, awesome. We could have an episode. That would be really cool. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be really awesome. Definitely. All right. Oh, yes. So thank you to Amar for that question. And thank you to all of our patrons, as always, for supporting the show. Don't forget, if you would like to go and become one of our patrons, just head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things. So that's all we have time for. We'll be back next week to update you on what's been going on in the space world. Uh, But we hope you've enjoyed this little interlude. Now, thanks again uh, for all those who are getting involved with the show on uh, social media or leaving reviews or supporting the show on our website or through our Patreon. Absolutely. And uh, maybe go and check out that movie. Uh, But don't, don't blame us if you don't enjoy it. But remember, in space, no one can hear you meme. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.